If you would turn in your scriptures as we read God's word to Colossians chapter 1. We'll start there. Colossians 1. Let's pick up in verse 13. Hear the word of God. He, that is the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, that is Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. I'll turn over to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Well, a new year has started. A new year, perhaps, of some trials, some challenges for sure, some testing. Tolkien's Galadriel in Lord of the Rings, she says this, the world is changing. I feel it in the water. I feel it in the earth. I smell it in the air. Much that once was is lost. Uh, and I suspect you're like me. You feel the world is changing. The changes seem rather rapid, don't they? It's like waves beating on the shore one after another. And there is some sense that time is short. Much that once was is lost. Christianity is being rejected by our countrymen. Many are turning back, turning away from Jesus. And that's the issue of the book of Hebrews. 
This is the issue that we all need to decide. Will we turn back? Will we turn away from Jesus? Beginning at verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to this text, it is high and lofty. It is full of deity and magnificence. We pray that we might enjoy it and that we would be encouraged, that we would hold fast in our faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, Jesus offended many at many times of his ministry. In the fishing village of Capernaum, in the synagogue, he was teaching. And what he was teaching upset the people. His words weren't popular. His words were not pleasing. And the complaints started coming in. The murmuring and the grumbling of the people. He was an offense to them. And the Gospel, John, says this. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They were done with Jesus. Now, the spirit of our age, well, our fellow countrymen, most are done with Jesus. They've grown indifferent to God. Corrupted hearts have been filled with the things of the world. Wealth, possessions, politics, health, the environment, rights, sexual hedonism. All these things is what is occupying the minds and hearts of our fellow countrymen. They are in love with temporal things. They've lost sight of the eternal and what is good and what is noble and what is right and what is holy. And that which is righteous is replaced with deceitful things, with, with lust. There's no passion that, that is denied. There's no passion that is restrained. And they are done with Jesus. The gospel, the good news of Jesus and our salvation, 
the righteous life that the gospel calls us to is forsaken. Around the world, there are martyrs for Christ being offered to God. And here in the West, Christians are, are challenged and ridiculed, even mocked. Holiness is portrayed as evil and bigoted. And we can sense that there is that increasing hostility towards Christians, an increasing resentment towards God, and resentment towards righteousness. Can it be long before the blood of martyrs, martyrs for Jesus, is spilled in our own country? What we believe and how we live as a consequence of what we believe, who we follow as Christians, is more and more alien to our neighbors, to our circles, and even to our relatives. Jesus Christ is an offense to our generation, and many turn back and no longer walk with him. And the question is put to us, put to you, will you turn back? Will you go on a different path? Will you walk the path that man walks, that woman walked, that leads to death? Will you turn from Christ and serve the idols of our age, the idols of the nation of Canada? Will you sacrifice to its gods? Will you give in to the deceptions and the lies and the idolatries of our time? After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Where would you go if you turned away? Who would you follow? Who would you serve? And what would you gain? For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, he said, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. This is the question of the book of Hebrews. Will you turn back? In verse 1 to 4 that I have read of chapter 1 in the Greek, this, these four verses are one long, magnificent sentence. One sentence. Sentences were constructed in that day, um, and they were, the length of the sentences were often determined by the amount of breath a man could have for how long he could sustain and, and, and speak the words. And so uh, this 
verse here, long, four verses in one breath. You can imagine, I tried it. I couldn't even get through the second verse without having to take another verse. I think they used to have better lungs than we have now because they could read the whole thing in one breath. It's a very long breath. And this is somewhat fitting because we're being told here that our God speaks. He speaks unlike the idols that are silent, the idols of the nation. God speaks, he talks. He says, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. God is not silent. Our God is not distant. He's not uninvolved in life and in your life. God talks and he is quite a talker because as we go through the scriptures, he's speaking and he's pleading and he, he, he's arguing and he's commanding and he's loving and he's telling stories and truth. And, and he reaches across the boundary between heaven and earth and talks from the very beginning when he said, let there be lights. He has spoken in time past in partial ways through the prophets. That he's speaking of the Old Testament. And that was all good, but he says, now the best has come. The full and the final revelation of God has come. God has spoken to us by his son, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. This is definitive revelation here. The last word has been given, the Logos of God, Jesus himself. Jesus who gives a message of God and who is himself the very message of God to us. And he tells us that he is the heir of all things in verse 2. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. That is that the father stands behind his son. The son receives honor worth and glory in his relationship with the Father. In a world at that time that well knew, that, that understood that, that who you were was so much tied to who your father was and your parentage and the significance of that, who you belonged to was so paramount in that day. The son is the son and he carries the honor, he carries the honor that the Father has. And there is nothing spiritual or material or physical that is excluded from what he will be given. All things, he says. He is appointed the heir of all things. This is looking ahead. This is end times. This is a future inheritance that will be given to the Son from the Father. And the Son will rule all that there is. And all that there is the Son himself created. Not only will he receive it, but he created what he will receive. And so he says that to us in verse 2, through whom also he created the world. Jesus said, he's the agent of creation. All things were made through him. In Colossians we read, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible and supernatural world, whether thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. 
And there is a paradox intentionally developed here. Jesus receives that which he himself has created. And not only that, typically a father dies and then the inheritance goes to his son. Here, the son dies to receive his inheritance. And he upholds the universe. We're told in the middle of verse 3 that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. We're not just talking our solar system. We're not just talking our Milky Way galaxy. We're talking all galaxies, everything. He upholds. It's beautiful. That he is there in the past, the creator. He's there in the future. He's the one who will inherit all things. And he's there in the present. He's upholding all things right now, preserving them. Colossians says he's before all things. In him all things hold together. The very atoms of the universe are being held together by the word of his power. And we're told that he is the radiance, look at verse 3, of the glory of God, like a beam of light from light, distinct but still light. He's saying the glory of the Father is shared by the Son, the divine nature. The Council of Nicaea in the early church history wrestled with this concept. And eventually in their statement, they said, Jesus is light from light, true God from ever-living God trying to express the relationship between the Father and the Son and and the Trinity. The pre-incarnate Christ shares in the the glory because he's God, he's a very God. He reveals the divine glory of the Father. He is the embodied radiance of God uh, and his essential glory. And the exact imprint, we're told, the exact imprint of his nature. This is picking up the language of of the Roman system of coinage and how the emperor who declared himself God would have his figure imprinted on the coins. And you've seen these museums and, and different places that have discovered the the coins, and and it's also a word that is used about the signet ring, where where you put it into hot wax and leave an imprint there. Um, and so what he, what we're being told is the emperor and the Roman system is the counterfeit. It's the true God is Jesus Christ, the exact imprint, and this is what's being underline that he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is God. His deity is being underlined here. He is the radiance of his glory, the imprint of the Father. It's been said that these words pulse with deity. And Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. 
And then he speaks of his work after making purification for sins, the death of Christ, the eternal significant significance of it for us, for our relationship with the Father. Through his death that we're cleansed, he paid the debt for our sins. We are free in Christ. Where else will we go? He laid down his life for us. And he exalted at the right hand of the Father. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That is, the Father has endorsed the Son and given him that place, the favored right-hand seat of power and honor at his son next to the father. So all of this is to, is to say, pay attention here. The entire scope and panorama of history is here from the beginning of creation to the very end when the son receives, when he receives all power and dominion and authority, when he receives his inheritance and rules and reigns. The entire scope of history of Christ as creator, inheritor, sustainer, who is God himself, the radiance of the glory of God, the imprint of his nature, and who provided purification for sins and sits in the place of honor. Where else would you go? How could you turn from him? God highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, whether in heaven or on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Where else would you go? Jesus said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. There is no one else. There's no other person. There's no other option. There's no other glory but Jesus Christ. And so when we hear disciples turn back and walk no longer with him, wow, look at what they gave up. Look at who they turned from. They were done with Jesus. Just like our country is done with Jesus. His name is a swear word on the lips of our fellow citizens. They use him in comedy routines and mock him in cartoons. They degrade him and they disapprove of him. And where most of you will first encounter opposition to your faith in these days is in regards to the sexual ethic that the word of God teaches and that is righteous and holy. Because the spirit of the age wants no restraint, will not have it. And says that man and woman can freely call themselves whatever they choose regardless of biology, regardless of truth. And what has been understood for thousands of years has in the space of 20 years been overturned. Billions and billions and billions of dollars are spent every year 
to push you away from Jesus Christ. One company, just one of the many, Disney, one company, their budget for movies this year and shows, movies that indoctrinate, that teach demonic things, that teach sinful things and normalize sin. One company is spending $33 billion in 2022. Just one. Normalizing what is wicked and, and making it seem good to other people. In their case, the God of the world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep for them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They're blinded. Remember the first martyr of our, of the church age, Stephen. Stephen preached a wonderful sermon. You can read it in Acts chapter 6, 7. And his accusers heard him speak about Jesus and they, they said his face shone like the face of an angel. Speaking of the glories of Christ, almost like Moses' face reflected the glory of God. And as Stephen spoke of Jesus, they were enraged absolutely filled with hatred. And they dragged Stephen out of the city and, and just before they murdered him, he looked into heavens and he saw the glory of Christ. And he would see, say, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God and waiting to receive him. He saw the glory of Christ. As I get older, I feel time passing quicker. And it does seem that way, doesn't it? Not just because we're getting older, but things seem to be going so quickly now. It's hard to catch your breath. And there's some new things, some new news, some, some new rumor, wars and rumors of wars. And it's hard to catch your breath. And as time passes, and my own death approaches inevitably. I think oh, there's less time in this body to know Jesus. There's less time to learn from him. There's less time to grow in his life. There's less time 
to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Some of you would most likely be thinking that about yourself too. You feel it. And as I have walked with Christ for 30 years and I feel like I'm just getting started. I'm just getting started, Lord, and death is coming. I'm just getting started in your life and your ways. And and even for you younger ones here, uh, we will never be done with Jesus. We will not turn away. We will not walk away. We're just getting started. Amen? We're just getting started. The world is changing. And there might be times when you might feel that you're done with Jesus. There may be times when you think it would be easier without Jesus. No. No. This book wants us to see who you would be giving up. He wants us to see who you would be losing, who you would be leaving. No, we don't give up now. You don't know what your faith is until it's tested. We will not be done with Jesus, creator, sustainer, inheritor, the glory of God the imprint of his nature who provided for our sins and sits at the right hand of the Father. We will not be done with him. How much truth can be contained in a single breath? I guess we have that answer. There's a lot of truth here, a lot of wonder here, a lot of magnificence, a lot of glory. Remember your first breath as a Christian? The first breath you took as a babe in Christ? A cleansing breath. A newborn breath. Life-giving breath. In this long breath here in Hebrews, our God speaks. And what he tells us is to encourage us that he has spoken in his son. And he tells us how wonderful, how amazing, how glorious is his son. Breathe in his glory. Follow him. Everything the world values is passing away. It's all passing away. And we can say that he is the Christ the son of the living God. We can say with Thomas, my Lord and my God. We can say truly he is the son of God who died and rose again. And where else could we go? Only he has the words of eternal life. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your son. Thank you for this glorious revelation to us of his glory. And Father, we pray in our troubled 
times and things seemed to be just one after another coming and waves beating on the shore. And so many are done with Jesus. And the power of your Holy Spirit through the ministry of your word build us up that we might be steadfast in faith, not wavering, not going, giving in to every wind of doctrine, but sure and certain that our hope is in your Son, our Savior, that we follow him. He leads us as our shepherd through this life. And whatever you call to us to, whether it be suffering, whether it be martyrdom, whether it be challenges and trials, perhaps pain and loss, perhaps grief as we feel the disapproval of our fellow citizens, whatever it is, we know, Father, you will keep us on the right path, on the way that leads to glory. And we pray in the name of the glorious one, Jesus, your son. Amen.